Yes. So here we are on the eve of Thanksgiving. And I have to always acknowledge at this time of year the deep pain and trauma of the original Thanksgiving. Even while there is great joy in this time of year, the opportunity to offer gratitude for the lives we have. So both of these are simultaneously true. And we have the added layer now of... um, You know, some people will visit with family tomorrow, as is a custom, and many people will not be visiting with family tomorrow because of our current circumstance with the pandemic. So uh, family, missing family or not missing family, I thought I would take this as an opportunity to address um, family in Sangha what we might call kinship. And particularly because we have been studying the ancestors during this practice period, uh, the kinship of the ancestors. Maybe we can have some extended conversation about what is it to be in this kind of family. So it would seem a little bit upside down these days that... uh, there seems to be so much to fix, so much to repair. And I would like to put this idea of fixing, as I've heard many times in the last few weeks, um, in the context uh, that it's kind of a dualistic view to say that what has happened was wrong and what is about to happen is right or that what happened is something that needs to be fixed, or that it was bad, and that what is about to happen might be good. (laughs) That's a little bit of a dualistic view. So I want to say that a Buddhist worldview is completely dissimilar to the dominant Western culture. And let's see if we can put a different lens on this tendency to want to fix something. Because really, the task is now to see the conditions as they are, completely, and respond appropriately now. Mm -hmm. So it may have seemed that all of our efforts over the past uh, year, or four years, or decade, or era, or several hundred years, all the efforts in peacemaking and um, making progress in social justice, for example, it seems like some of this has been undermined. I've said this in a couple of other contexts, but I'll say it again now, that it's not that things have gotten worse, it is simply that things have gotten revealed. We can see clearly now the pain that has been true for quite a long time. So now more than ever, it's necessary for us to generate some uh, equanimity, I would say, and to work beyond any discouragement that we might feel, even beyond anger that we might feel about how things turned 
recently and rather to focus on the behaviors that are actually nourishable, that are actually cultivatable through practice. It's important at this time in our society to not add animosity or division, but rather to exercise great patience and to bring forward what I like to think of as resilience, and uh, not just momentary resilience, but reliable resilience. We have a place to return. And we begin, begin with ourselves and our surroundings. So at this time, we gather to support each other, being visible, being visible to each other on the screen is a support of each other. Whether you know it or not, someone is counting on seeing you. So we offer each other this gift of presence and physical presence when we're able to do that again. With this kind of support, for each other, we bring forth the effort that is needed to, as uh, Blanche quoted Katagiri, this is kind of what teachers do, one quotes another who quotes another who quotes another. <laughs> so Blanche quoting Katagiri saying this, we bring forth the effort to settle the self on the self and let the flower of life force bloom. Settling the small self on the big self, letting the flower of life force bloom. So this flower of life force is always present. It's only our own obstructions or obscurations that may become obstacles to our perception of this. The truth is always here. We have teachers over the centuries who have said this very thing in multiple ways to their people and their places in their times. So, for example, out of Song of the Trusting Mind, the way is perfect like vast space where nothing is lacking and nothing is extra. Indeed, it is due to our choosing or rejecting that we do not see thus. This is from like 1,200 years ago and totally appropriate to us at this time. So ancient and contemporary masters have been saying the same thing. Generations and generations of people have heard this. So we also have multiple archetypal figures in our practice and actual people and rituals and ceremony and chants <clears throat> that we do that support us to find great patience and reliable resilience. And this resilience, in my opinion, has to be not just personal, but local. And we can extend this to global, multiple levels at the same time. And not just at the same, in this moment, and inclusive over time. So we add in the metta, the teaching of loving kindness. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere. So our study practice is exposure to the ancient teachings, right? 
And this is what we have been looking at during this practice period. In some version or another, as I see it, teachers over the centuries have been expressing the core of Buddha's teaching, and that is the truth of the origin of suffering and the possibility of the release from suffering. If you can just remember those two facets of the Buddha's teaching, that's a lifetime of study right there. This goes hand in hand with this meditative experience we call Zazen. It's the experience that allows us to see the workings of our own minds and hearts. Basically, this practice is an ongoing inquiry into this. What exactly is the cause of this suffering and what exactly is the possibility of release from suffering in this moment? So for a while, we can take it on faith that the Buddha and the women and men over the centuries who have carried forward this tradition in time, we can take it on faith that they knew what they were talking about. But sooner or later, we have to sit down and see for ourselves. We find that meditation is central. The capacity to return to a stable and upright posture is central. We add to that then learning uh, what the elders of a variety of cultures have said about the Buddha's teaching, the cause of suffering and the possibility of the release from suffering. And then the third facet of this triple treasure. We participate in community in supportive and encouraging ways. These three, uh, meditation, learning what the elders have spoken, and participating in community. This is the single jewel of our practice. In order to do this, we have to bring forward our own conditions and recognize that each person is dealing with their own conditions. Our family karma, our collective karma in a group, our own group, our collective karma as a nation, the mix of languages and cultures that we have, and we choose to live with each other. We choose to figure out how to do this as a kind of kinship. This is family. I mentioned in class the other night that I actually had to look up the word kinship to see if I could land on a true meaning. And the first dictionary I found said, uh, the state or fact of being kin. This was not helpful. (laughs) When I used to work and teaching language, my students would complain again and again, like, It's not helpful in a dictionary to use the same word to define the word you're trying to figure out, right? Students are very critical consumers of dictionaries. (laughs) So I had to look up another, another source. And this one was actually helpful. What is kinship? A sharing of characteristics of origins, affinity, connections, similarities, associations, understandings. That helps me understand kinship. So, what is it in our family called Soto Zen that makes kinship kinship? 
affinity, association, similarity, understanding, connection. So we have good reason to talk about this thing called Zen or the Zen school, but actually there is no such one thing as Zen school. There are at present time actually 22 uh, corporations in Japan, bodies of people who are, who call themselves Zen. And in the U.S., I don't know that there are 22, but there are certainly many Zen schools. One thing that we have in common is our acknowledgement of the lineage of ancestors. This is one of our affinities, one of our associations, one of our connections. And uh, most Zen clergy around the world uh, find themselves in the branching streams of at least two lines, Rinzai and through Dogen Soto. So, of these 22 plus uh, so Zen schools, we are associated because of our connection with the ancestors. So many of the traditions that we have when we're in the actual temple uh, have roots in the Song Dynasty, the year 900 of the Common Era. And many of them have roots in much later time in the 1200s of the Common Era. So what is it that we're doing here with our roots? Uh, why would we be rep replicating the style of a tradition that's more than 800 years old? What is this? So what is it that makes Zen Zen? At least in part, it's our connection to the ancestors. <clears throat> So when we recite or chant the teachings, we're studying the ancestors. We're trying to understand what it is that they were teaching to their group of people in their culture, in their place, in their time. And I want to say that it's not, this is very important to me, it's not just the ancestors that we can name, although we can name many, 91 of them in the Daiosho list up to the present day, and 66 of the Acharya up to 800 years ago. So, but what's very, very important to me is that it's ordinary people just like us who are keeping this practice at the center of our lives and has been happening over the centuries for generations. You know, we wouldn't have this 91 plus 66. If there's no student, there's no teacher. <laughs> These teachers were talking to bodies of people. So we can feel strengthened and encouraged because we know that they had bodies of people that they were offering this teaching to. They were just playing their role. And everybody was doing their part. The zazen we're doing is the same zazen. So many of us come to practice <clears throat> with some superficial idea <clears throat> that this practice will make us a better person 
or perhaps that it will heal some wounds, or perhaps that it will improve our outlook on life. And those things are probably true, but really it's just sitting zazen with no goal that is the root of actualizing Buddha life as this life, your own life, our own lives, just sitting with no goal. This is not heroic activity. This is just the natural expression of an already present Buddha life being expressed by ordinary beings like ourselves. No one would would arrogantly say, I'm living a Buddha life. And yet I see you, each one, is living a Buddha life. It's proper to not be arrogant. <laughs> it's proper to uh, to say, as we do in another chant, be strenuous, upright, and sincere without pride easily contented and joyous. That's correct. And yet, please recognize that you engaging this triple treasure is, in fact, your version of living a Buddha life. I'd like to read a little bit to you from Blanche Hartman out of A Windbell, the publication of San Francisco Zen Center from 1993. And she's talking about this very thing. <clears throat> so, this ideal Buddha life that we envision is manifested in the world by ordinary, limited beings like us. In fact, this unlimited Buddha mind can only manifest in the phenomenal world through ordinary living beings like us. So, if we want this Buddha life manifested in the world, it's completely our responsibility to manifest it right now, right here where we are. The actions of other beings may affect us, but they are no excuse for our actions. Our actions are completely our responsibility. We are completely responsible for the actions of this body, this mind, this mouth, and we will experience the consequences of the actions of this body, this mind, this mouth. How we respond to the circumstances of our life is entirely up to us. This to me is very, very joyful. I'll underline this from Blanche. This unlimited Buddha mind can only manifest in this phenomenal world through ordinary beings like us. How else do we imagine it would happen, right? Sustained by our engagement with the triple treasure, we enact our Buddha life. <clears throat> I'm evaluating with time here which direction to take through my notes. <clears throat> In this ordinary Buddha life, we might say at a time, I wish I had done such a thing differently, or uh, 
I wish I had taken a different turn at that point in my life. And we know that that's a fruitless conversation, internal conversation to have. The truth is, if we were back in that circumstance with all of the same conditions, we would have re we would respond in exactly the same way, because all of the conditions would be influencing exactly the same set of conditions, right? So now the work is to reflect. How did that turn out? What did I learn? What now? What action is consistent with my vow now? Uh, I, At the risk of repeating a story, I, I have to say, because it's popped into my mind, there was a time when uh, Suzuki Roshi was sitting with young people at Sokoji, the, the first place he landed when he came to the United States. And he was serving the Japanese-American community there. He taught Zazen and began to teach the, the Dharma to the community that at that time was kind of just past, I would say, the trauma of the internment after World War II. So know that he was teaching that group of people. And he was working with the children and teaching Zazen posture. Put your leg this way and your other leg that way. Make sure your spine is upright. And one child said, look, I'm doing it. And he said, yes, look, you're doing it. And the child said, now what? <laughs> and Suzuki Roshi just echoed, now what? <laughs> we could use that as our mantra forever. <laughs> now what? So, that circumstance that I wish I could have changed, what did I learn? What action is consistent with my vow now? Now what? So, meditation is central. Learning what the elders have spoken is very, very important. Participating with community in supportive and encouraging way is, in fact, the place where we begin to enact this Buddha life in the trusted company of Dharma friends. And we will make mistakes, guaranteed. We'll get on each other's nerves, we'll be irritating, we'll hurt each other, guaranteed. And yet, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, three aspects of the one jewel, where else would we begin to exercise our newly learned skills? I will say that chanting and ritual <clears throat> serve as kind of um, the the word I typically use is a cairn, but not everybody understands that. It's a stack of rocks. It's a trail marker when we're out in the wilderness. So chanting and ritual serve as cairns along the way. And especially if we're out in familiar territory, we might even be able to say, I have passed this way before. Mm -hmm. And in ritual and ceremony, because the ritual and ceremony stay the same by the grace of the ancestors who have passed these things on, because the ritual and ceremony stay the same, 
we recognize how much we ourselves have changed. Uh, say, oh, I have passed this way before. Look how much territory we've covered since the last time we came this way. I was different then. And now I see how much I have changed because this trail marker is the same. So maybe we can have some conversation. What is it about this kinship? What is it that the ancestors have offered us? How do we receive these gifts from the lineage, the teachers who are, whose names are known and unknown, and the vast numbers of Sangha members who we won't ever know? When we recite the ancestors' names, we include all of them. And we do this, this is also very important to me, we do this without appropriating the culture, but rather honoring the cultures from which this teaching has come. What is there to see about this when we're not imposing our own view? What is it that we can see about this when we're not trying to get something to be better or to be good. <laughs> with great gratitude to the ancestors <laughs> and with great gratitude to all of you who have shown up this evening and throughout practice period in these last few months, uh, completely demonstrating uh, living this Buddha life for the benefit of all. Maybe you have some questions or comments that you would like to make. But first, we'll have some announcements, um, a little community share, and then we'll close formally, and those who would like to stay and converse may stay. Before announcements, I'll end with this last thing from Blanche. It's an extension of what I read from her a little earlier about this unlimited Buddha mind manifesting in ordinary beings like us. We meet the present circumstance anew. This opportunity cannot be given to us by someone else because we already have it and we have always had it. So we come together to sit together to settle ourselves here. May this be so. <laughs> 